it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Bruce, news editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, we have a special bonus edition of Beer as a Conversation, as we catch up with David and Karen Golding from Red Hill Brewery. A few weeks ago, Karen and David announced they are selling their pioneering Victorian brewery and estate after 22 years. Red Hill was a very early entrant into the craft beer scene, and Karen and David are a case study in the generational change that we will be seeing as the industry pioneers reach a point where they want to retire or move on from the industry. Even though it wasn't scheduled to be part of a 2022 conversation, we didn't want to let this milestone pass. And I wanted to catch up with them both to find out about their decision, as well as look back at their time in the industry and what changes they've seen since they first started their brewery, as well as a bit of a sales pitch for anyone who might want to take it on for themselves. Karen and David hold this chat in their inimitable good humour, and I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. Karen and David Golding, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Hi, Matt. Hello, Matt. Thanks for having us. It's my pleasure. I don't know how to start this by saying it, it, it's good news or bad news that brings us to, to talk this time, but uh, the, the Red Hill Brewery um, is up for sale, is, is on the market. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you're too unhappy. That uh, Beer drinkers might be a little bit unhappy, and uh, those of us that have been watching you for years sort of have a twinge of nostalgia, but it, it doesn't sound like you're too unhappy, too unhappy with the decision. No, look, it's, it's, Matt, it's been pretty much a quarter of a century that we've been setting up the brewery or making beer, and um, we've been running the business for 18 years now, so it's a fair fair slap of time to, to be doing the same sort of thing. So, um, And hopefully somebody will buy the brewery and continue with the brand, and I'll be drinking Imperial Stout in five years' time. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's not um, bad news for people who like our beer because, we, you know, we – are hopefully selling the actual brewery. So fingers crossed someone can continue continue with that. That would be the best outcome. Before we go and talk a little bit about the sale and you know what your plans are and, and, and what the options were, let's talk a little bit about the history of Red Hill because – you know, you are one of the original craft breweries, uh, you know, certainly one of the old guard um, of craft breweries, having been around as a brewery for 17 years, but your plans predated that by about seven years. I understand there was a significant gestation period um, before you finally opened as a brewery. Yeah, well, we bought the property in 1997 with the idea of being a brewery, but, you know, being in an agricultural zone, we had quite a lot of permits and things to do. We had to establish growing hops and also, you know, go through town planning and then have a bit of a fight on our hands with court for a year. And once we actually started, you know, finalising plans and building, there was at least a year or two of, you know, commissioning equipment and building and all of that. So, yeah, it was, you know, 2005 when we were ready to open Maybe it's a passage of time or maybe I'm misremembering uh, things, Karen, but 
do I recall you having used saltier language to describe uh, the, 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 the process that you went through, you know, in, in the mid-2000s? It would, I, I remember it as being much more frust- frustrating than the fairly sanguine description you gave just then. <laughs> to me? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 my, as I said, I could be, I could be was misremembering it. Was I home on the couch channeling Beth Dutton? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just recall it as being fairly uh, traumatic, the experience of getting the brewery open. Well, it was. We, you know, we had a year in court, so that was um, unbelievably stressful with objectors and the council and that, you know, they had QCs and barristers and, you know, we had 10 days in court over a year. So that was that was a lot of time in court. Have any of the concerns that the objectors raised come to pass? No, none of their concerns have ever come to pass. I think the overall overarching fear was the industrialisation of what they tried to portray a brewery as. And as breweries have become, you know, known and become popular and become part of the food and beverage tourism scene, you know, people understand that they're just really like a little winery or another little farm gate where people can, you know, have cider or wine or beer and we're all very similar. And there's just a full stop there, really, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's not, We never saw it as any different, but people tried to make out that it was very different. And, and when you finally opened 2005, it was still early days. I think Little Creatures had been around for a while. But yeah. uh, actually, even before I talk about that, what inspired you to decide to open a brewery, particularly one you know, on, down on the Mornington Peninsula? Yeah, no, we, we looked around a few different areas. Like We really love King Valley. I think you, know, you try to sort of hook into somewhere that's already got a food and wine scene. And Dave and I both had connections down here. My family live here. Um, so it was a bit of a no-brainer, really. You know, King Valley would be, is beautiful, but it's also a pretty long way from the Mornington Peninsula from our mums and our dads and that sort of thing. <laughs> but what inspired you particularly uh, to, to, to open a brewery? What was your beer epiphany, as we like to talk about it these days? We had some really good friends in England and we lived with them and stayed with them for years in England. And every... You know, weekend, we'd, you know, walk over the fields, you know, pick some slow berries and mushrooms and have Sunday lunch at the pub and there'd be, you know, unique little beers on tap and all the beautiful ales. And, you know, we literally for two years just spent every weekend with our camera guide and our bicycles going around to all the little pubs to the places that were recommended in the in the camera guides as having good car scale. And it was just the most fantastic thing, and we just sort of dreamt of doing that. Like, there's nothing like that in Australia. It was just industrial, and I didn't get why we couldn't have cute little pubs in the bush that people could walk to. <laughs> I, I, I would I would dare say that, uh, that there's still nothing like that in Australia because some of the beer styles that, you know, people like yourselves were inspired by were were visiting, you know, Europe and, you know, Belgium and the United Kingdom and coming back having tried Belgian ales and cask ales from, from the UK and uh, sort of came back. But that style of beer never really took off. It was, a, it was a whole new range of beer styles that really fired what we came to call craft beer, wasn't it? Yeah, a bit more following America's kind of theme, I think, mm. rather than the European theme. But I think there's plenty of room in the beer-drinking fridges of the world for all different types of beer. <laughs> Can you remember what your opening core range was? 
Yeah, we had Colch, wheat beer with Hefeweizen and Scotch Ale. Scotch Ale, and uh, actually, and the, those three still remain. Yeah, yep. There's mm. been, there's never been a reason to get rid of, get rid of them, and I mean, we we now do quite a few more beers. I mean, we we were, I think, the first breweries in Australia to to start doing seasonal beers. So one of the first beers we did was Christmas Ale. Now, first year in two thousand and five. I remember that. Actually, I'm trying to. I should be thinking, do I have a uh, an old Christmas ale sitting in my cellar somewhere that I can pull out? Uh, because, you might. <laughs> but it's interesting you say that, doing seasonal beers, because we have seen these trends, you know, breweries opened with a core range and that was it. And then we started to see mm-hmm. seasonal beers uh, that, again – you know, in in France and uh, Belgium, you have the Christmas beers that come out, and the well, that's sort of what inspired us because we travelled in Belgium and we were there for Christmas, and we were all three of us getting our own individual Christmas beer. You know, in the special Christmas glasses, and you know, they're fourteen, fifteen percent. And it was like the first thing we did when we came started our own brewery was make a Christmas beer. <laughs> but these days, you've got breweries that have a whole range that's made up of anything but core range. You know, it, it is a constant barrage of new releases. So that uh, idea has completely turned itself on its head. I don't know. Not for most of our customers that want, you know, to have a certain beer on their menu or, uh, you know, customers that also, you know, have their favourite beer when they come here. They mm. love the Pilsner. I think a lot of your customers would miss them. But I get, I get that there's breweries out there that just keep, you know, turning it over, but most of them still have got a core range beer that they're selling to Dan's or something like that at the same time. Have you felt any pressure to go down that constant new beer um, pathway? Um, well, we, like, the last year, we've made like, how many seasonals this year? We've probably made 20 different beers this year. So it's not like we don't do it. It's just that they are more sold in our own environment and they're not necessarily out very widely in the marketplace. But we've got we've got about five seasonal beers available right now. What percentage is Red Hill because you, you do you are very much a tourism draw card uh, in, in the area but then you also distribute locally and also interstate. Do you have numbers between how much you wholesale versus how much you sell through your own uh, venue? Um yeah, I think we it's probably sort of similar. It's probably about half and half, and then mm. you've sort of got over your bar and that as well. And you know, over COVID times, we sort of started up online as well. So we've got quite a bit of beer moving out through our online shop and also our beer club that we started this year as well. So yeah, we've got a little beer club running too. So that's been quite popular. So you know, we've sort of yeah up against it trying to make enough beers to fulfil our online orders and our own bar and our beer club and um, customers, a lot of local customers. And, yeah. It's a good problem it's to have. It's getting me busy here, Matt. I'm, I'm working hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that, I guess that's a good problem to have. Have you, you know, in, in that case, felt pressure to expand over the years or were you limited by, you know, the, the, the area that you're operating in and those initial uh, permits? No, I just don't think it's ever been something we've particularly aspired to do. Because your your original vision was to have a little brew pub, uh, essentially, with just a fairly small footprint? 
Yeah, well, if you were going to expand, you'd have to take on investors or finance or debt or crowdfunding or something, and that's not something that we wanted. We just want, always wanted to keep it within what was achievable for us. And, and clearly you've, you've done that successfully. You've able to support yourselves uh, and, you know, the operations of the business over 17 years now. Where A lot of breweries seem to have felt the need to have to expand. Yes, I do. To go the next step is actually quite a big investment in <laughs> capital and tanks and and work as well. So, you know, if you're, from my perspective, if we're, if we're running a business that's profitable and we've got a good lifestyle and it's all working well and we get enough time to go for a fish every now and again and go for a ski every now and again, then that's not a bad thing. I guess a big part of this podcast is understanding the different business models and understanding the different ways breweries have gone as a mm. you know, as an insight for others to consider pathways that maybe they they hadn't otherwise. Yeah, I know your your um, podcast and website is amazing at understanding the business issues. I often follow a little thread there and go, "Wow, he's really." <laughs> you know, caught on to that. And it's interesting because <laughs> there's one or two over the years that I've followed and I'm like, oh, see what Matt says about that. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're just, you know, we've just always wanted to have control of our own business. I don't, yeah. We, if, if, you, if we took that next step, it would just require a lot of um, input from other people probably or debt and you know we just don't really want to go down that road you clearly and you know, i'm presuming you still enjoy it even though that you, you you've reached the point where you want to do something else staying passionate about what you're doing would and, and feeling rewarded from the doing of, of of what you're doing uh would have to factor into that you know you, you you have to draw a lot of pleasure from just the uh staying at that scale i'd imagine yeah i mean it would be Great to, you know, grow and be better at what you do or be able to afford a general manager or, you know, different things like that. But it doesn't necessarily mean we'll be more profitable and we might have to work a whole heap harder to make more beer and sell more beer. And as you know, we have tried different things over the years. You know, we did kind of um, actually close down the bar for quite a few years whilst we were living here and our kids were young. Um, and put our beer in with distributors and, you know, had a different sort of, you know, try of that. And that that was not at all a good idea. So we quickly changed that. Why is that? Talk to talk me about why that wasn't a good idea. What didn't work there? Well, the, you know, we really needed to be, you know, looking after our own beer and sales. So if the distributor would run out of our beer, then our customers couldn't get our beer mm. and they'd just buy someone else's beer. So it was pretty simple. <laughs> and then we'd have to wait a really long time to get our check for our beer, which would be quite a big check. But then, you know, our customers were slowly drop or quickly dropping off because they couldn't get it because they'd mm -hmm. run out and they didn't want to get more until they'd sort of sold the whole lot. So it just wasn't working in that way. Okay. That's an interesting challenge that we don't hear a lot about. Yeah. So we, we just had to say, no, we've got to do it ourselves. We were trying to just take a step back and live here on the property with our family and have our beer be more wholesaled. Um, but, yeah, that 
didn't work. So we, yeah, anyway, we changed it. Oh, we, <laughs> and we can. And I, I, I suppose that's a good thing is that we we're mm. always had control. We could always do what we wanted to do and we could try that. And if it didn't work, mm. then we'll do something different. So. Again, that's you know you you, you went through the um, you know various funding sources, and I don't think people always think about you know no money is free money, and you know if you take on investment in any form, you know there's a bank that wants to be repaid and can push uh, for for that repayment, or you've got co-owners who may have a different view about the the, the best way forward uh the, the, it sounds like you've stayed you know masters of your own destiny in terms of the decisions you that you've gotten to make yeah 100 percent. yeah nobody else decides <laughs> and uh, yeah i don't know i don't well probably I, I probably wouldn't cope with anybody else trying to but that's the stuff <laughs> <laughs> babe <laughs> well, how did you go then? Because you're both very hands-on in the business, you know. If, if and you had a young family, if you wanted to go away for two or three weeks in school holidays, how have you managed that over the time? Well, yeah, back in uh, not so much the last few years because of you know COVID closures, it's been a bit of a challenge. But you know, up till then, we've always taken trips away, and we've always had um, long-term, stable staff and managers. We've had a operations manager, office manager, brewer, chef, bar manager. And if we have all, say, like five of those positions filled and they're all working well, there's literally nothing for, for me to do anyway, or Dave. It's just nothing that we can't do via a computer. So we've had loads of trips away. Yeah, we used to do that quite a lot. We used to do that a lot. Not, not the last three or four years. Things have been a bit different, but, yeah. These are questions that I ask because – Speaking to a lot of other breweries, you know, they, they say, oh, well, you know, staying as a small brewery, you know, we can't afford to bring somebody in when we go away. And so, it, and then, you know, there, there are lifestyle compromises in, in return for staying small or there, you know, we, we don't have the capital that when we want to, when something breaks, that we can easily fix it and things like that. But you just sound very, very relaxed about the whole thing and that there's no downside to, to, to the choices that you've made, um, you know, about being a, you know, a relatively small brewery on a, on a farm south of Melbourne. I don't think there's any downside to that at all. I think it's positive. I, I personally don't get why everybody's racing to expand and take on debt. Well, then what happens, you get bought out, are you hoping to get a whole big chunk of cash in your pocket? Uh, you would know more than me, not me. I only know of one or two things, but you probably know a hundred things. But which of those people that's gone through all those expansions have walked away with a big roll of cash in their pocket? Anybody? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't no, I'm not that I know of. <laughs> so, uh, but, but over your time. Um, you, You've been very involved in VAMI, for example, the old uh, Victorian yeah. Association of Microbreweries Incorporated. Um, back when, back when uh, yeah. craft beer wasn't even called craft beer; it was microbrewing. Um, mm-hmm. Talk me through through the time there, because obviously, having an association, did you see that as a body that could champion the cause of small breweries, or was it a, a body to um, you know educate consumers? What was the uh, the, the background to your involvement with VAMI? Well, it did both of those things. I think the one good thing it provided was the opportunity for the brewers to get together and, you know, discuss, you know, the issues that matter. And probably, you know, the big one was excise reform, that Mm. the organisation might have even started off the back of excise reform. Mm. And 
you know, eventually it did get there. You know, it, it kind of became, obviously, once the IBA came, came along, it sort of ceased to need to exist anymore. There was no need to have a Victorian um, version when the IBA was, you know, doing everything. So that was good that that change happened and we finally got a national association. Um, but exercise reform was the big one. You know, some education, um, just some getting together with the, you know, discussing industry issues, um, promoting the, you know, small breweries and, yeah. Because I remember when, uh, in the very early days, you know, so it was probably about 10 years ago, Vami was looking at a, I think a family-owned brewery seal or a, certainly a small independent brewery seal um, that had a certain criteria around it. Yeah, we made that. We did that. We had the seal produced and posters and a website and, you know, everything like that was all distributed and I probably still got some posters around. <laughs> so that all got off the ground. It was quite a big project. Mm. And we always did in the years before, um, before there was the internet, we did a book. Do you remember the book? I do remember the book. A Guide to Victoria's Breweries. I do. You know, the state government partially funded that and that was like, you know, that cost us something like twenty-five or $30,000 to, mm. to get it printed and then it would get distributed out through the visitor centres and the um, breweries. So that was a really big project. So we, you know, published that book every year with the help of the state government. Um, then we moved it to an online version with the stamp of authenticity as well. Mm. Yeah. Do you think the problems facing small brewers have changed, you know, over that, that 10 or 15 years or are the problems still substantially there? Obviously, excise has – there's been a significant change there. I think probably most things are still the same in terms of, you know, obviously a big issue for small brewers is tap contracts and things like that, you know, getting market share when the share gets gobbled up by large breweries. They just buy another small brewery and make their own brands and say they've got craft beer. So that, that's probably a big issue that, you know, it remains. I'm not sure what else would, would have changed. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the excise, you know, yeah, that, that, that has been a massive change in the last sort of – when did that come in? Three or four years ago, the, yeah. the latest update. Mm. Yep, two years um, ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, mm. and that makes a massive difference. But certainly, the brewery our scale, we we will never hit that. You know, three hundred thousand dollar excise bank at this at, at this scale. So it means that it's, it's a massive saving for us. Mm-hmm. You're not concerned that it, that that can be seen as a windfall for breweries that haven't yet started, and you know, draws more in to a fairly crowded marketplace already. Well. Makes the same as any other business, <laughs> doesn't it? Whether you're candles or bread or chocolate or whatever, now now it's similar. <laughs> yep. Yep. Talk to me about the uh, about the sale. You know, it's twenty five years. It doesn't sound like you've lost any of your enthusiasm for uh, you know for, for what you do and love for for the industry. What's what's prompted the change now? Uh, I think I think you know I'm I'm approaching sixty, mate. So it's sort of it's one of those it's it's an exit. It's a, basically an exit plan for us that we we think is the right time at the moment. Um, I'm I'm enjoying making beer. That's, that's if I'm still here making beer in a year's time, that's okay. Yeah, 
I'm actually in the brewery now, five days a week, and and I am the brewer. So it's um it's something which I purposely chose a couple of years ago, and and I've always got brewers in with very little experience, trained them up, and they would hang around for three or four or five years, and and then they would go off and do whatever they do, which is you know start their own brewery or go and work in a bigger brewery or a different brewery. But um you know I'm I'm back in the brew house making beer, and that's actually purposeful thing where I went, this is what we did, this is how we started this business years ago. Mm. And um and it's good fun. I, I believe you canvassed a variety of options whether, you know, selling the brewery and leasing it out where where it is um, because you, you own the land separately and then the, you've, you've got the business. But my understanding is that you're selling the whole, the, the, the proposal is to sell the whole Lock, stock, and barrel. Um, for, for for want of a better term, did does that require somebody who loves the area to also love the idea of owning a brewery, or do you think somebody might come in? You know, is there the potential that someone will come in and just love the land, but not necessarily want to continue the brewery? Well, firstly, we touched on the permits before, so the land in this area is very tightly controlled by you growing something Mm -hmm. and you only get a permit related to what you grow and things like that. So, you know, you can only have a restaurant if you're on a hundred acres and you are a producer of something. Yep. Um, And it has to be the thing that you're selling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was a little bit different when we started. It didn't have to be a hundred acres. It could be five or, you know, so that's where we got our start from. But the permit here on this site is for a brewery Mm -hmm. and associated bars and restaurants and things. So if you decided to not have a brewery here, you wouldn't be, you'd have to go back to scratch to the drawing board and try and get a permit to do something else or just, a big fence up and say I'm just going to make it my home (laughs) which is you know was something we tried to do for a little while we actually (laughs) spent a year or two trying to relocate the brewery you know without going into an industrial estate that was sort of plan B is we'll we'll relocate the brewery to another place and we'll stay living here we spent a few years you know we actually got pretty close to one or two things and um, yeah they just you know, land down here is just so expensive. It mm. was out of our reach again, unless we went in with big business partners or took on a massive multi, multi million dollar debts yep. and things like that, which at the time you probably could have got from the banks. You can't now. <laughs> and I think in the end, we decided ourselves to move out. So we moved out. Oh, so, so, you, so you, you, you've actually moved out? We haven't lived here for about seven years now, is that no, right? That's better. We've okay. had two other houses in another part of town. So once we moved out, um, we turned the house here into a gorgeous little B&B yeah. and we have got house guests every weekend. The people staying this weekend are also our secret stash members, so they're VIP visitors and they get a box of their special beer that's been brewed just for them and they're checking in this afternoon and going to sit down and drink their stash all weekend and hook into the bar and their special box of beer. Sounds like the dream. Do, do you still do the um, the, the hop harvest? I, I know the first time I visited the brewery was uh, when Pete Mitchum and I um, came down and helped harvest hops for a day. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, every year we do hop harvest. 
and we, you know, usually put a call out and get, I don't know, 10 or 20 people to come and, you know, serve them lunch and free beer all day and cakes. <laughs> yeah, we put the strings up for the hops this week. So yeah, yeah, so we've got the hops started really shooting up. Then in March we'll harvest them. Yeah. <laughs> so what what is the um I, I I guess if I was giving you a free ad uh to to pitch the sale of of the brewery what what are buyers going to get? Well, five acres in Red Hill in the middle of the beautiful you know producers and food and wine and drinks region, and a fantastic brewery that's got a great brand and a B and B or a house to live in. Okay, and a pops and. <laughs> Bar and restaurant, beer garden, paddocks for the ponies. All my recipes. All your recipes. <laughs> <laughs> and do we uh, dare talk about target price or rough price or indicative value? So someone's uh, got an idea of what, what, what they need to shell out to, uh, to, to take on this uh, dream? Well, they have to sign an NDA, NDA with a real estate agent and um, have a chat to them. Right. Kay and Burton. Okay, so so you could tell us, but yeah. you'd have to kill us individually. <laughs> That's it. So we'll, we'll certainly put a link in the show notes to it. And and, and what are you both going to do um, if and when you sell? <laughs> I think we just feel like there's something else we want to do. It's honestly, we really don't know what that is. And if it meant that by selling, you know, we then end up free to make to to be open to finding something different. It, it will happen when we have the ability to do that. Mm. But when you're working so much in just this business on this block of land, you know, we don't we don't have much ability to think, oh, let's go travel the world or do whatever different things that we might want to do or, I don't know, there's so many little things. And, and, and sorry, I, I was going to say, I guess that's what I was getting to earlier when I was talking about the job is – is, is it something that you have to buy into the lifestyle of, of, of running Red Hill Brewery, you know, um, that, that you need to love the doing? You can't just be an absentee owner, for example? I don't know. It would depend. Um, you know, one of, as, as you mentioned before, the, the property and the business are quite separate. Mm. So we could, for example, sell just the business and, you know, end up being landlords and we can go and do whatever we want. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we're probably just too much of control freaks to do that because that would be weird. <laughs> so we've decided to kind of sell the whole thing and not, not be landlords, you know, because then we'd still be connected to it and we'd be worried about what would be happening here and things like that. Yeah. So for us, it's better to be freer and mm. then we have the options to think about what we might do with our own you know, change of direction or ideas. Has there been much interest to date? Because it's, it's, it's now going on over a week since you uh, first made the announcement. Had, had, had it been yeah. marketed for, for long before the announcement actually came out? No, that day, one week. Right. yep. Yeah. Has there been much interest? Yeah, there's been tons of inquiries and, you know, lots of people have received the documentation mm-hmm. um, and that's um, easily available to anybody who wants it. And anybody who wants to talk about, you know, further about serious price or figures and things like that is, yeah, welcome to ask the agents about it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by the change in the industry over the time Red Hill's been around. Has has the nature of the business changed, or is it still? You know, it, I, I'm struck by how much you just say. Well, we just get in and make beer. We do it. You know, Dave makes his beer, and is is it very much life has gone on unchanged? You know, in in the little uh, ideal that is uh, Red Hill. I don't. I don't think it's changed that much. I mean, we're still just. Um, I'm still just making beer that I want to drink. That's really. And that's never changed. It's always been something that I've always mm-hmm. always done. No one's ever told me I had to make a seltzer or need to make a sour or need to do <laughs> a hazy. Well, I was reading Matt's blog and I did send you a link to hot water. I thought that would be a good yeah. thing for you to make. Yeah, well, Cass has some ideas at times. <laughs> <laughs> hot water, that's the next thing. Do we have hop growers? We yeah. should be the ones making hot water. Yeah, I do. It's called beer. Look. <laughs> <laughs> So you haven't been uh, caught up in the whole alcohol-free movement or anything like that? No. No. <laughs> well, there's hop water. There, there you go. There, there, there's an alcohol-free beer, hop water. <laughs> we, we did a, we did a, um, a podcast for the, for the company uh, for a Christmas party and we were doing tastings of beer and I was talking to talking to sort of 20 or 30 people in this and I was saying, you know, that I only make beer that I want to drink and someone said, oh, do you make a, do you make a non-alcoholic beer? And, I go, no, I only make beer that I want to drink. <laughs> and she was here one day and she came up and she said, every time I see a non-alcoholic beer in the supermarket, I think of you. I go. <laughs> Look, again, I, I think they have their place for people who want to drink them and I think, uh, you know, abstinence and drinking less is, is great. But I'm, I'm with you, David. You know, I think uh, if, I, if I don't want alcohol, I'll drink something other than beer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that's what we think too. But, you know, everyone can do, like, again, there is enough space in the fridges of the world and in people's homes and in people's bottle shops or wherever for there to be a place for every kind of beer, right? Yep. And we don't have to be, this is something I feel really strongly about, we don't have to be all things to all people. We, we, we don't have to be and we can't be. So we're only small. We make what we make. And we cannot be all things to all people. So hopefully there's a little niche in the market that's where plenty of our beer fits into the corner of that fridge. And if they want to fill the rest of their fridge with non-alcoholic beer, go for it. (laughs) I'm not judging you. (laughs) I think that's as good a place as anywhere to to leave this chat. Is there anything else that you guys want to say, though? Is there anything uh, apart from, you know, go download the uh, prospectus for for, for the sale? Yeah, yeah, that's all Kane and Burton. Oh, look, it's going to be a super sad day, the day that, you know, you know, we we hand over the keys to the brew house. I think a little bit of us hopes that whoever buys it does want to continue with the brand and maybe needs Dave to step in a couple of days a week and keep his, um, his own beer money topped up <laughs> or his own fridge topped up, you know, make a few beers here and there. But, um, you know... Yeah, we really hope it can somehow continue on. But once you hand it over to somebody, you know, it, it could become anything really and that becomes out of our control. Mm. So, but it's a unique opportunity. You know, nobody can do what we've done. It's not even possible in this day and age to open a business in the countryside. Mm. You can't get these permits. So I hope that somebody finds the value in that and realises how unique it is and, has that extra 
you know, $5 million in their pockets and build a nice big beer garden or something and put in some bigger tanks and away you go. <laughs> I'll be able to make non-alcoholic beers and seltzers and all the other things. Well, Karen and David Golding, thank you so much for uh, for well, not just this chat, you know, about the, the sale, but for you know the, the last seventeen years of uh, Red Hill Brewing, that the, the consumer facing seventeen years of uh, of the brewery, and uh, thank you for all you've done for the industry as well. Thanks, Matt. No, oh, and thank you. You do heaps for the industry, and it's I always enjoy reading your stuff. And last week I was listening to your podcast uh, with Steph and the you know the brewers. Yep. And um, they were really, really, really lovely, the things that they were saying about us and stuff. So that was fantastic. Thank you, guys. There seems to be – there's been a lot of um, people having wonderful reminiscing and stuff. So, yeah, there's so many great memories. <laughs> oh, you've created a lot of, uh, a lot of memories. So uh, thank you for that. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks, Matt. And that was Karen and David Golding. I wish them every success in finding great buyers to whom they can entrust their little brewery to. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us spread the word. You can sponsor the show if you're a listener. You can find a link to that in the show notes. If you're a business that wants to reach our engaged industry audience, you can advertise in the show. You can help us out by reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting service. And you can email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au or join the Facebook group to share your thoughts. Thanks for listening in 2022. Have a wonderful holidays and we look forward to sharing more industry conversations with you in 2023.